Good evening, you are listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, Rob Zachney, here once again with our friend, writer and critic, Cam Gunzelman. Hello. Thank you for having me. And today we're also joined by Kotaku's Ethan Gatch. Hello, thank you so much for having me on. Uh, today we're returning to the world of Frostpunk, uh, a name whose ridiculousness really didn't dawn on, till me, dawn on me until this exact moment. The, day, the game is called Frostpunk. What a wild thing. Uh, mm-hmm. And specifically, we are, returning, we are returning to it via the prequel DLC that came out this past winter, The Last Autumn. It's a DLC expansion that kind of reimagines what Frostpunk even is as it tells the story of how those uh, generators and those sort of salvation cities uh, were created that we that we sort of governed and, and mismanaged and turned towards uh, fascism in the core game. So, Ethan, can you tell us a little bit about what The Last Autumn is? Is this... Is is this going to be very familiar to people who played Frostpunk? Yeah, so it's interesting. It's, it's it takes the basic uh, building blocks and sort of decision making processes of the of the original game, but it gives you not just like a new location uh, that's more temperate and forgiving than uh, the Arctic uh, deep freeze of the of the base game, but it gives you a new uh, sort of rock and a hard place that you're trying to navigate. So instead of trying to uh, keep this generator cooking so that nobody freezes to death, you're actually trying to build it. And uh, what that ends up, and because you're building it on this island, you don't have access to the same sorts of resources. So you're reliant on a port from the mainland empire to deliver a lot of the the stuff you need to do it. Uh, so you're, you're kind of more managing timetables and uh, productive capacity than doing blanket survival. Uh, and it really kind of, it's, it's interesting because it, I, I don't think a lot of players even realize as they're playing it the first couple of times, how much it changes things on you until you keep dying and realizing you need to really deploy different strategies. Yeah, I, w- I would say I was definitely caught off guard by that as well, because the first thing you see when you load into this game is what looks like a really stripped down Frostpunk. Uh, you, you know, none of the none of the city that you're familiar with uh, building and managing really exists in this game, nor do there appear to be any options to even create right. it. Right. There's no there's no tier two housing. Uh, initially, there, there's there's not much in the way of creature comforts. A lot of your resource extraction and uh, creation buildings don't exist in this game. You're dealing with a different tech tree. And as you said, uh, a lot of what you depend on is being shipped in from the Empire, uh, which makes this in many ways a less forgiving game than Frostpunk. It's it's interesting to think about Frostpunk really is a game that wants you to feel like things are very desperate. Uh, there's no margin for error. But actually, it's a very forgiving game in a lot of ways. If you need more wood... Uh, chances are there's a forest nearby you can just cut it down or there's a magical bottomless supply of of trees uh in the walls of your little glacier city that you've got that you can just you know you can build the right building and there will always be there will always be a trickle of wood coming in from there that's not really the case in this game if you run out of coal uh you're kind of screwed the only source of coal really is the boat, the transports that come in and drop it off. Uh, and then of course the other wrinkle is that this is a game where 
you are starting with a very small workforce and your goal really isn't to save the most people possible or just build the biggest city possible. Uh, your goal is to, in some ways, project manage. This, this is a project management game. Uh, and part of that is having the right scope for the project and figuring out how many, you know, what headcount you need to, to bring it home, uh, which are all lessons that you learn in my case anyway, by via repeated failure. Uh, Cam, I know we talked a little bit about this. Uh, where were you at with Frostpunk prior to this expansion and what sort of impression did you get from the last autumn? So the so Frostpunk I was like super excited for before it came out, <laughs> which maybe tells you where I am right now already. Um, but uh, I, I was like really really excited for, for Frostpunk. I thought it was really cool, and um, that that enthusiasm very quickly was met uh, with the fact that it is not the kind of game that I want it to be, and and maybe I can't get over that. So I'm saying that at the beginning, right? Um, the Frostpunk and Surviving Mars both came out at the around the same time. Okay, and I I thought both had really cool aesthetics. I thought both were the kind of builder games that I enjoy. But both of those games, um, b both of them are fundamentally, from my perspective, they are fundamentally puzzle games. Um, in that there are metrics that you need to be hitting, and you really kind of need to hit them on a on a pretty strict timeline. And if you're not doing that, then you are kind of trying to claw from behind repeatedly. And so when Frostpunk came out, I wrote about it. Like, I think it's a cool game conceptually. I like on some level the kind of uh, pressure it puts on the player. Um, but I'm not the kind of, of video game player, despite playing all of the games that, uh, that, that really, where the player communities really value these things. I'm not really the kind of player who like, gets pushed over the edge or like will complete a thing uh, just because the challenge is there. Um, I, I can't generally uh, a video game can't like bully me into completing it. And so I made it when Frostpunk came out, I think I made it through the first two scenarios or something. Mm -hmm. So maybe halfway through the game or two, two fifths of the way through the game or something before I kind of just got tired of the, the the way that it demands things from you and not necessarily the demanding but the specific way that you do it um and what you and i were talking about rob i think i i think i sent this to you this morning um but is like uh, the last autumn in particular is, is this way but all of frostpunk to me is like Okay, you like sandwiches, right? Here's a bunch of really cool ingredients for sandwiches, right? So like here, here's lettuce and here's pickles and here's mayonnaise and here's like tomatoes and here's like peppers and all kinds of cool stuff. And then I'm like, oh, awesome. I want to take all these pieces that I like. I like the idea of hard moral decisions. I like the idea of like all these weird things you, you can build to kind of like augment the way that your generator works and the way that your city is built around it in this like weird restriction you have of putting it in these circles right and you know you got to get your sandwich between two pieces of bread or at least one piece of bread um but then as you're sitting there and doing it there's someone who's like hitting your hand with a ruler over and over again and being like no 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 you have to put mayonnaise down first and then you have to put whatever mustard on it and then you got to put pickles on it and then lettuce goes there and uh you know i put maybe three hours into the last autumn 
um, to prep for this over the weekend. And I, yeah, just like you were talking about, it was just repeatedly failing. Um, and not failing in an interesting way. It was like failing and being like, oh, okay, I guess I just have to do this next and as quickly as possible. And then failing and being like, oh, okay, actually I have to do these three things in order or there is no way for me to proceed in this game. And so it was just like someone reading off the list of things I needed to do. And uh, I didn't find that particularly engaging. I didn't even find it as engaging as normal Frostpunk. I'm not entirely sure. It's it's weird. Like, I I'm... I basically agree with everything you said, uh, but at the same time, I think there are interesting things about this expansion and its conceit. I think, for me, where 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 sort of to to preview where I'm coming down, I feel like, uh, and maybe this is this is sort of the natural setup to this. I think the last autumn has, in some ways, a more interesting idea for what the city builder can be. Uh, for what the what the test you have to pass to, pass in Frostpunk, a more interesting idea for for what it can be. It also doesn't seem to have much confidence, or maybe the design just isn't deep enough uh, that it had that that it warrants the confidence to let you play around with that system and try to figure out how to solve the core problem of how do I build this big ass generator before the ports before the ports freeze and uh all hell breaks loose like how do i how do i get this task done the game doesn't leave it at that instead of what the last autumn does is it also has a lot of events that hit up during the course of the campaign and i feel like there were kind of there were kind of two different learning curves uh, I, I was on. One was the learning curve where I was figuring out how to be the foreman of this giant uh, city-saving construction project. The other learning, the other learning curve I was on was okay. I need to learn every single scripted event that I'm going to hit over the course of this game because they have such a dramatic impact on how things are going in your city that. If you are not, if you if you approach them naively, there is a very good chance that they will put you into a like failure spiral really quickly, and then you'll have to start over. Uh, and I liked the first one. I liked the part where, hey, like how do I how do I manage the weird economy now of the city and the hitting my construction milestones? I got frustrated with how much of my time with last autumn was also kind of about okay uh remember what happens when you when you finish this stage uh a bunch of construction workers are going to get trapped in a in a in a shaft collapse mm -hmm. <laughs> uh and once you once you know that is there it's not an interesting problem to solve it's just a matter of like prepping for it uh so i like i was kind of of two minds about it where i definitely did get that feeling of having the ruler smacked across my my knuckles uh particularly particularly by those events on the other hand though i did kind of like trying to optimize the pipeline to get this this freaking generator built uh ethan I think you you see you you in your piece was were probably the most positive of of the three of us. Uh, I'm curious, where did you come down with regard to the sort of tension that we've identified, uh, and what were the elements that sort of put the last autumn over the top for you? 
Well, so I think it's it's hard because so coming to the so the base game I think I struggled with because it is more open ended and it's a sort of more traditional city builder in a way where uh, you have an objective but it's about creating this civilization around that whereas with the last autumn you are on a sort of uh, single trajectory and you have different uh, ways you can sort of augment that but you're you're basically always uh, aiming towards the same thing which i think helps uh it was a nice uh it was it was a nice change of pace to be able to just sort of focus on the task at hand and to be sort of solving that one problem uh and it actually feels more uh almost like a visual novel in terms of the mm-hmm. events that spring and the way you you go down the path of either this uh sort of aristocracy or uh this uh mob rule uh unionism but uh, so I think there's it's both a strength and a weakness, and I maybe a design limitation in that those events can feel so scripted and not sort of reactive or go down interesting side tangents. Uh, but I guess it's 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 almost like uh, I'm glad for the DLC that it's different from the base game. But I so so for instance, I think the base game is is better at letting you just. Uh, find uh sort of interesting wrinkles in the world because you can experiment more and sort of see uh what different versions of this fascist society will look and feel like whereas you don't have that freedom in the last autumn uh but on the other hand because you don't have that freedom in the last autumn you're sort of put into more interesting problem solving situations and it's not i don't i agree it's not doesn't it's not the kind of thing I would go back to in the way I might go back to a, a city builder like the base game because after you have sort of optimized the problem or you've seen enough of the scripted events it does feel like you're just sort of uh, the last person in class who the teacher's waiting on to turn on the you know turn in the test and you're like all right this is kind of pointless at this point um, so I mean I'm I, I almost feel like I've kind of been uh, ambushed here I'm not the biggest <laughs> defender of the last the last autumn but. I feel like as a, it, it sort of gave me the best of both worlds in terms of giving me the feeling. I mean, I'm I'm all for just sitting in this sort of grim mm-hmm. uh, pit of like, you know, I'm just going to put on some boards of Canada and vibe out to the complete fall of this society and like uh, it just sort of be in that i you know there's a lot of like grim city builders out there right now but i think frostpunk is one of the best at just like feeling like beautiful without uh sort of uh indulging in a lot of the the bleakness um so i don't know if that really answers your question but i i agree that it's like it's those weaknesses are there but you know maybe if there's a frostpunk 2 i think that they could build on the last autumn and add in more yeah. of the sort of variety and i mean ultimately i want the frostpunk 2 to be like uh um elysium in that like there's not these fail conditions there's you know you you're grappling with these problems and each failure has its own interesting outcomes that uh are worth pursuing i mean to cam's point yeah it's it's not there's no there aren't interesting failures really uh i don't think in either uh version of the game so I think that's that's a major drawback. Yeah, I think that... So there's a reason we're talking about this now, which is like, 
I was finally sort of inspired to play this game because, hey, I find myself trapped inside a lot more. <laughs> and suddenly I was like, you know what sounds really good right now? It's Frostpunk. Yeah, let's 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 fire up some Frostpunk. And uh, I am 100% the player who can be bullied, uh, to, Cam, to, to Cam's point. Sort of, <laughs> the thing Cam is not, I 100% am. Like, Cam will put things down. I will be like, oh, I guess I just have to complete this now. I just have to I just have to consume <laughs> this entire thing that I that I ordered and now I do not want. Uh but I just I just gotta eat it. And uh not being able to succeed with the last autumn my, my first couple times through was just like at that point the hook got all the way in and I was like, I'm gonna build this generator. I like, <laughs> but I think some of it was when I started to realize how much more there was to this in some ways than base level Frostpunk, it did catch my interest. I think the wrinkle of having everything delivered from overseas, including workforce, right? You start with mm -hmm. basically a an advanced crew who are just there to do site prep. Uh, and really aren't even like they, they have no capacity to start work on the generator. They are just creating, uh, they're just clearing the site and prepping it for the next wave of workers. But to give you an idea of what we're talking about here, like you're, I think I want to say it was the factory in the base game that like had a maximum of like, like 20 or 30 workers in it. Uh, in general, like Frostpunk was a game of like, moving small groups of workers between these resource production sites and eventually like just banking enough that you could survive uh, that sort of end game test that Ethan was alluding to, right? Where it's just like, okay, you figured out Frostpunk. Now have you banked the five or 6,000 coal units to survive the endless frost? And if you haven't, then uh, you're screwed. Like you should, you should have known that you would, you would need more. Uh, and that, that was kind of Frostpunk's trick. But in the last autumn, building this generator requires huge workforces. Uh, like each stage of the generator, when you create the work site. So I think the first thing you have to do is like build a generator shaft. Uh, that is like a 60 person job uh, to, to begin doing. And that's 60 workers who are not going to be producing anything for the campsite. So everyone still has to get fed in the last autumn. Uh, everyone still needs housing. But the difference between, like, the last autumn and Frostpunk is in Frostpunk, everyone who has a job has some sort of immediate productive output for the survival of the settlement. In the last autumn, the thing you're really struggling with is the fact that you've got a giant fucking resource sink in the middle of your city. Like that's like literally mm -hmm. where the generator go goes is a big fucking hole that you've got to fill with, uh, you know, this, the steampunk phallus and raising that phallus requires a lot of hands. And they're in that while they're busy with that, they're not going to be producing anything to keep the campsite alive. And so you have this weird problem of, if you like the more people you keep bringing in just to harvest resources for the construction in a weird way, it's like everything starts to slow down. Like there's this interesting 
economic trap in The Last Autumn that I think, again, weird for a game that is a prequel, but it feels so much thornier than anything I did in Frostpunk, where Frostpunk, the answer was always, well, I'll just tech up to the, the next level coal mine, right? Like, I'll mm-hmm. I'll put the, the steam core in the coal mine, and suddenly it's going to be a coal bonanza. And I won't, you know, I won't have to worry about coal supply after that as much. Here, you just need the ship to come in with more coal. And that's and that's it. Uh, and, and so the you can't really adjust that rate too much. Uh, we can get into some of the specifics because there is there are additionally weird dynamics around how you get the resources from the ships to the worksite. Uh, but you have this weird problem of you'll want to keep expanding your workforce just so you can throw more bodies at various problems. Oh, I need, you know, I need more expeditions going out there into the overworld map and stripping it for resources. Uh, you know, Oh, I need, I need more sawmills uh, cutting down the, the, the stands of trees that are near the campsite, both to clear ground and to produce wood. Um, but Every single one of those workers just becomes another mouth to feed, and it, it the resource pinch gets worse. Uh, and I found that tension really satisfying to navigate, um, almost to the point where I, I this is this is why I do feel there's a lot, there's a lack of confidence here. Uh, I think <laughs> that that tension probably was enough for a pretty good expansion, right? That's a decent scenario. And then they're like, what if the same half dozen screw you events happen in the game uh, to sort of provide progress checks for you at, at each chapter break? Yeah. I mean, my, for me, I think that I would have a lot better time of it and I would maybe be have a little bit more patience for it if uh if milestones weren't so heavily kind of policed by the game right if you if you're not hitting specific milestones by specific time limits then you're having a hard time um and if i don't know maybe maybe if those supplies came a little bit faster um i mean it's interesting ethan what you said a minute ago about basically you know you're kind of you're playing Frostpunk, and also you're kind of getting this almost like visual novel is the language you use, but this very kind of like linear narrative of things, Rob, you're talking about this too. Um, and, and I guess that's like, that's the the carrot of Frostpunk for me. And, and you know, when you asked if I'd played this or whatever, when I was like, oh, yeah, I'll actually try it out. I'll play, I'll play a few hours of it. Um, because the things I like about Frostpunk are actually, I think the writing when it shows up, I think it's pretty good. I think like the developers have a really good sense of what this world looks like um, and like how you can interact narratively um, or or, uh, like policy wise within it. And then I really like the expedition stuff. Actually. I like the idea of like walking around that overland map and all that kind of stuff. And for me, like if the, I experienced the rest of it, you know, Rob, you're saying that you can basically be bullied into the, into, you know, rising to the challenge. Like, I think I could probably be bullied if I didn't find it to be so much drudgery. Like, I think that it, like, the mental, the thinking I have to do. Maybe I'm just not good with numbers, y'all. I think that's probably a fact. I'm not, you know, I'm not great at managing these supplies and the rate of supply. You know, I I will own up to that. But, like, if it were 15% more open in the scenario, 
And it gave me just a little bit more of that narrative stuff. I think that maybe I could stick to it, but but it's just so strict and stringent. And it's interesting too, I think, that that what you've both said um is something that that I wouldn't have put into the words until you said it, but this really does feel like almost an early two thousands expansion pack for a video game. It's like, you know all these systems? Here's what here's like a microcosm of of these systems with like a little bit of change to them. Um, and weirdly enough, that's not something that shows up in games now all that often of the 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 one off feeling expansion pack that like tweaks a bunch of things, but really kind of keeps the core gameplay. Um, you know, often we just get like additional c- scenarios or like, uh, you know, sequel story content or whatever. Um, so, yeah, yeah. Anyway, and maybe that's the thing, too, is I never completed a lot of expansions either. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, t- I totally agree that it's not. uh the it's not fun i don't i don't know it's it's a double edged sword because the you know compared to the base game which feels a lot like you've got your hand on all these knobs and dials and if you just keep tweaking them you're going to slowly stabilize everything whereas in this uh not only are there spikes where actually you need to swing huge amounts of resources at a single problem which mm-hmm. feels at least to me it's always very counterintuitive uh the same way in uh sort of in RTSs where I'm very good at like the management of my base and building things out. But the moment I need to switch and do something completely different, I'm just completely lost. And so it's as soon as, you know, the the back and forth between, Oh, I should be rushing now with my troops and doing raids and not worrying about expanding right now. It's, it's hard for me to make that jump. Whereas I think last autumn is very much about making those jumps and also knowing how to manipulate these knobs and dials on a huge time delay given the port mm-hmm. situation. So there's a lot of information that feels much more at your fingertips in uh, the base game where here it's obscured and, but, but uh, you know, it's in fairness, it's obscured. I don't know if it's really in an interesting way. It's, it's, you could create a spreadsheet with all these delays and do pretty simple calculations to say like, Oh, I need this much of this thing when should I start trying to get that? Um, it's it's so it's like if you if you have this spreadsheet of everything you need in the last autumn and how to get it, and then they just made a bunch of the cells invisible. Uh, that's that's sort of like playing the game, and I'm not sure how much fun that really is to because it's a it's sort of like a very inelegant solution to the problem uh, because if you really wanted to put your mind to it and crack out. Uh, the calculator you could you could figure it out but is it it's not fun necessarily to do that it can just feel like uh you know brute forcing a spreadsheet at work um so it's i again i, I like the the pressure that puts you under but i can totally see where it's not it doesn't lead you to sort of interesting or creative solutions like you're you're not contrary to how it might feel when you look at the tech tree as a new player you're you're not really going to go on reddit and find that someone came up with a very weird solution to like this is yeah. you know to, to one of the uh one of the acts in the new scenario it's like no here here are some really tried and true strategies and if you just figure these out you can go all the way yeah i um i was having this conversation earlier today uh one of my colleagues over at Vice, uh, Joseph Cox, was he tried Monster Hunter World this weekend, and he posted on Twitter. Basically, he was Google searching like uh, Mo- Monster Hunter World combat boring, 
and <laughs> like just like seeking validation, right? Where he's like, everyone told me this game was going to be fucking good, and I hate it. I'm 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 bored to tears. And his, his response was like, it turns out that actually, like, it's the Monster Hunter World fans uh, who are wrong and living in a distorted <laughs> reality, right? Like here I am, like clear-eyed objective i see this game as boring as hell it's the fans who have gone down this rabbit hole and uh one the of my, truth teller yeah and one of my other colleagues said look that game you know i'd like it but it is basically an animated spreadsheet and i think you know where i sort of came down is a lot of the things we get into are basically stealth spreadsheets right like that <laughs> like a lot of what we're talking about when we're talking about these games that get their hooks into us and that we're sort of revisiting the various problems they, they want us to solve. A lot of them are trying to conceal this reality of, okay, well, really, you're, you're just trying to figure out how, how to keep these numbers in balance and make these numbers over here go up. That's, you know, that's what you are. That's what you're doing. And the, the question is, how do we feel about the way the game conceals that reality and the thematic wrapper it, it puts around it? Um, and I think that Frostpunk is probably not a very complicated spreadsheet in a lot of ways, uh, but it's got a good vibe. It's got a nice, depressing, bleak-ass vibe, and that will cause me to... Uh, overlook a lot of uh, overlook a lot of this but i do think with the last autumn at least the math might have gotten significantly more interesting because there is there is less capacity to react uh in this game which is why that event stuff becomes actually so double-edged because right out of the gate when you're talking about the last autumn just the way it's constructed you don't have the capacity that you had in in the base game to just redeploy resources and redeploy workers and handle whatever comes up. The last autumn is kind of the path dependent uh, Frostpunk. And I think that ends up working pretty well. It's just that it does make all the various narrative stuff that the game's always used a pretty good effect. This time it feels more punishing in part because it is designed to be a bit more of a, uh, you know, events are designed to cause you a little more trouble. Uh, and then it changes kind of how you feel about the events themselves. But one of the drivers of these events is that in addition to creating this entire work camp to build this giant generator, the generator itself uses specialty parts that you have to fabricate on site. So you have to basically create like a, a, a manufacturing support industry to build the generator. And then because you are working with some kind of foul steampunk uh, technology that is, that is using geothermal uh, energy from, from the heart of the earth and, and, uh, the sulfurous fires of, uh, <laughs> of, of the infernal realm, uh, what you have is a really toxic worksite. And one of the other, and this might be my favorite thing about this game, is that a big part of this is about managing workplace safety and mm -hmm. managing, related to that, managing workplace 
relations. And I think that ends up further making this more interesting than, than Frostpunk in some ways. Cause in Frostpunk, you know, while there is this, there's an element of Frostpunk that's about how do you balance ho- like hope versus discontent, right? How do you, how, how, how are your relations with your townsfolk? The game doesn't really have politics in that sense. Like un- unless you really fuck up and maximize discontent and, uh, you know, eliminate all hope, people are pretty chill following you all the way to the gates of hell in Frostpunk. Uh, that's not the case here. You need you need to have a reasonably happy and healthy workforce or bad things are going to happen. Uh, Ethan, this is kind of the, the, one of the major thrusts of, of your review, uh, discussing sort of the workplace uh, relations and the management of, of the workforce. You want to talk us through some of the systems in place for uh, making the job site feel a little more alive? Yeah, so there, there's two, you know, in the base game, the the dual uh, threads are faith and order. Um, and so you have these these laws that you can inter- introduce to society in uh, in how to deal with people based along one of those uh, one of those lines. And in the last autumn, it's about whether or not you decide to side with your engineers, which are like upper management versus the workers which want to form a union at some point in order to deal with all of these crippling uh, workplace issues and dangers and building this giant piece of machinery. And, you know, it's, uh, it's, I feel like on a, in the base game, there's, it's a much more, I didn't instinctively go towards one or the other. Whereas obviously in the last autumn, it's very much like, all right, sure. Let's, let's, let's form a union. Like uh, <laughs> even just from a personal, like, you know, when we talk about games being of the moment, like, you know, any game that is going to let me form a union, no matter how poorly it's implemented or how shitty the politics around it are, I'm like, yeah, let's do it right now. Uh, and it, it's it's one of these. It's an interesting um, how the game. You know, on a on a sort of I guess on a sort of dumb level, it's like uh, you've got to put these people to work and maybe let them be miserable because it's the only way you're going to save civilization. Uh, But it's kind of like, it's interesting that the last almost a prequel because you're, you don't know technically what the future is going to be like. And here you are sort of as a player having already gone through the base game thinking like, do I want to, what kind of uh, narrative successes or failures do I want to sort of repeat here? Um, And, for me, it's it's uh you know as you go down one of these two paths, you're either maximizing the worker satisfaction, or you're going through and basically creating uh, eventually a sort of secret police of upper management that is going to uh, control everything through violence. And you can even uh you know the tech trees allow you to have one time events that are or not one time but events that are on cooldown where you know you can uh, for instance, uh, up everyone's rations in the worker union, and they'll be super happy for a bit. Uh, but you can only do that every so many days. Um, or, you know, if the workers go on strike, you can break the strike, and there'll be tons of worker dissatisfaction. But if you really need to hit a milestone, and uh, eight more hours of work will do it, then you can send in uh, the the secret police and get it done. Um, 
and so it's it's a sort of it's another narrative frame to look at with these problems and it's uh it's interesting just because well obviously not a lot of games do it and there's plenty of criticism of the last album in particular for sort of uh, doing this uh i it's it's i guess it's an interesting question whether you want to view it as putting both of those contingencies on equal footing um you know like oh the if the workers get out of hand and the union becomes too strong then you'll have mob rule um but if the you let these uh, aristocratic uh technocrats do everything then eventually they'll take too much power as well um but yeah it's it's there's there's so few instances of that in game i mean obviously it it's almost like you get a pass uh for how well or not you do it because there are so few uh good comparison examples yeah i think uh most most games will tend to treat workers as a pretty fungible resource and uh vanilla frostpunk did this as well but the, this notion that people can specifically shut down uh job sites and, and and come to you with specific asks and all of that can be mitigated or even forestalled in advance by proper management uh makes it a more interesting game and certainly a lot more tuned to the heavy industrial themes of uh of frostpunk uh one of the one of the things that I think makes this a little more satisfying and naughty is that there's a trade-off between speed and safety. And likewise, uh, there is an efficiency rating that every building has. This is this is true in, in Core Frostpunk as well. Like, buildings have efficiency ratings. Uh, but usually that's just based on, like, are people out sick on on a given day, right? Uh is somebody off eating, uh you know, getting their rations rather than being at their shift right now. Um what there's a lot more variance in efficiency in the last autumn because as the workforce gets demoralized, you start seeing massive drop off in uh output of your various uh, work sites and and buildings uh and it it's a pretty demanding system like keeping morale high in last autumn requires a pretty significant investment of resources um but once it begins to fall off once people start once you start getting like productivity penalties this it gets really dicey trying to keep any of this on on track uh and so I I also liked this this further complication of you can like as at its simplest for instance you you can build these things called structural frames uh, which takes the wood resource and you you put it, put them into a fab facility and you create these frames that are useful for scaffolding uh, but are also base elements for a lot of structural parts of the of the generator and. It requires a fair number of those frames to create scaffolding to make a workplace safe. 
and that goes on cooldown. It, it gets consumed uh, over the course of the construction. And you might have to put a couple rounds of, of scaffolding in there. But it provides a positive bonus to the overall health and safety of the workplace. But it also does impose this need to continue having crews manning the frame uh, fabrication building in addition to having them working in the job site. You can't just, you know, you might wish you could just shut down that factory that built all these frames and just roll that entire workforce into the construction site. Uh, but that will mean that you will start just burning through your stock and you won't be replenishing it. Uh, I I liked that these elements were in play here. And I liked that how you handled them would affect your relationship with the union, right? Like the, the thing you really, you really wanted to be trying to do was prevent, prevent things from getting heated with the union. Uh, but if you began to fall down on the job of making sure that things were going well, the job sites, uh, you would find yourself dealing with increasing unrest and forced to basically, you know, you, you generally had three options, right? You sort of let it strike, burn itself out. Um, you could pay off a strike uh, with some sort of like temporary SOP and that would like work once. And then you would, you would face further demands down the road or you could resolve the problem or you could actually like put in a lot of resources and resolve it. And the strike risk would, would, the strike would end and the strike risk would diminish for that work site. I liked the way all this came together. I liked the, the labor relations aspect of it tied to the planning and uh, production aspect of it. Right. They weren't just too, it, it wasn't like, it wasn't like the, the, the worker morale was completely separate from the rest of the game. It 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 tied into the stuff you were already doing in a way that you know again your your point Ethan like a lot of games don't really have don't really handle the subject uh, much and they certainly don't make the subject pretty integral to the to to sort of the construction and management stuff you're dealing with uh, you know a lot of times you'll have morale be kind of a weird magical. Uh, concept that exists apart from a lot of other systems. Yeah, it's yeah. just a meter. Ooh. Sorry, go ahead, Ethan. Oh, it's, it's, just, it's there. It's a lot of games. It's like okay, we'll have a meter for that, but you know, a building makes the things by itself magically, or you know, it's, it's these things just sort of come out of the air. Um, whereas, I, I, it is one of the strengths of the game that it burrows down another layer, so you're not just min-maxing a bunch of buildings and outputs, but the inputs to those buildings um, that create them all. Mm -hmm. I, the weird thing, too, though, is the the, the um, kind of schedule of events that happen put, made some like weird scenarios happen for me. So, for example, I had throughout the most successful run I had of, you know, getting a third of the way through building this generator or whatever. Um, I had, uh, like zero unrest, like extremely small amount of unrest. Um, but, uh, also very little motivation. <laughs> um, and so like, you know, narratively what the game is telling me or like experientially what the game is telling me, it's like, 
all right, so we all came here, and uh, you know, every time the workers ask me for something, I just invest the resources in it. So they're like, hey, uh, you know, we'd like a shorter work day, and I was like, all right, sounds good. Seems bad to be working in that pit all all the time. And they're like, oh, uh, you know, we need additional scaffolding and things like that. And I was like, all right, fine, yeah. Oh, you need a um, you need a tavern and a church. Okay, oh, you want to repatriate the bodies? That sounds good to me. Let's do all of that. Um, and so, <laughs> narratively, what's what's happening right in the experience of myself is is it's like. Uh, we have the workers, right? And then, and then the workers, there's some inherent tension between the workers and management, as there should be. And But but as management, I'm just repeatedly like, yeah, okay, sure, sounds good. In the game, because it has to hit these markers of like unrest or, or uh, worker narrative development, it's like, well, actually, uh, that it's insufficient for the moment. Uh, they hate that owl that's like hanging out above <laughs> the thing. And so they're all mad. The owl! <laughs> Yeah, and so it's just like this weird thing of like, I really, I think everything that y'all are saying is right. Like, I, I like the narrative steps that are happening here, but weirdly enough, I felt like by treating all of these as like an obligation rather than as like a crucial decision point, I just created, I made the game very hard for myself, um, but still playable, which was which was interesting, I guess. That's one of the, the, the places where I think there's this, it's... I'm, I'd be curious, you know, it's, it's hard to know when you're going through a playthrough how much is, you know, what the, the sort of math going on behind the scenes is, because I think it's uh, one of the fascinating parts about a labor negotiation is this, there's this, uh, there, you know, two sides completely opposed, uh, want different things, uh, you know, ostensibly they have a, they have a shared goal of prosperity for the company organization whatever it is but uh there's it's a it's a usually pretty binary tug of war over how much give there's going to be in, in either direction and you know both sides usually tend to approach it with some level of fear because they don't know you, you, you know you can't predict what's going to happen so if, if i press them too far will, will will there be a strike and then you know will they come back to work and and obviously in frostpunk there's the issue of like you're a sort of captive uh, manager, you know, you can't just, you're not going to get a bunch of scabs to come in off the boats uh, the next day and start taking all these spots. Um, but I think one of the, one of the issues is that as a, you know, when you're in those negotiations, it it never necessarily felt like uh, there was a sort of dynamic of like, what's, you know, what, what's going to happen. Like the, I, I never came away from the, the from the last autumn where I have in some strategy or sim games feeling like uh, the way events unfolded had left me with an interesting and novel story of like, you know, well, we were negotiating over this thing and then they played hardball. And so I, I, I gave on this, but then, uh, you know, they kept pushing and finally we had a 10 day strike and then it came back to the table and we worked on this other thing. Like those negotiations are pretty, as Cam was saying, like you're, you're going to give as much as you can without jeopardizing the project because at the end of the day, they're just something to be managed and you don't have anything to gain from really pushing them. Cause what are you doing? You're going to meet your deadline faster. Like it doesn't, it doesn't matter to you because uh, unlike in a real world labor negotiation there it's, it's, you know, you don't have something that you can get from them, which is their, you know, labor and surplus profit or whatever. So it's, it's not like uh, I feel like part of the issue is that you, as the this sort of manager in the game, don't have an incentive to play out these negotiations in more interesting ways. 
Yeah, I think um, it's weird. Once the thing, once an event, once things get out of hand, it triggers an event, and we get funneled back into the event systems that are probably one of the least interesting parts of Frostpunk, um, because it doesn't really have a lot of narrative flavor. It just becomes a like do I do I have the resources to click the good button? Basically, that's right, it, yeah. right? Like the <laughs> exactly, the unions yeah. here, and it's like, man, we can make this all go away if you just got enough but enough resources saved to click that good option. And I'm like, oh, guys, I just don't, I don't have the, the good option. And like, well, then we're conti- we, we will continue to strike. And I'm like, all right, that's fair, that's that's legit. Sorry, um, and it's uh. It ends up being a little bit unsatisfying in that way because it becomes yet another sort of uh, check you you have to pass. Uh, and I'm also not sure because things are so tight in the last autumn. It often feels like if you didn't if you didn't have the resources bank to handle that problem, if you couldn't resolve the union question pretty quickly, uh, you're in pretty deep trouble, right? It's not like it's not like okay, well now the story is. The work site was shut down for a month while people – well, the whole game takes place over, about, over the period of about a month. So the, the work site was shut down for days, right? That, if that story happens in The Last Autumn, you're host. That's just – that's not acceptable. Right, yeah. That doesn't that, – that no version of The Last Autumn involves constant labor unrest and uh, you know combative negotiations somehow producing some kind of uh, flawed – victory condition like you will just fail uh because you things will spiral so badly uh which is which undercuts some of the good work this is this is doing uh but i did think that one of the one of the funnier aspects of this was that there's an element where the union can sort of become a uh, a little bit of like a it, it becomes a partner in your operation, right? You can begin turning the union into an arm of uh, management in some ways by just continuing to uh, you know sponsor union agitation and such, and continue to you know have the union on side and continuing to advocate for everyone working, working a little bit harder. Uh, and there's some, there's some funny gags about like leaving, like if you leave like the workers council open and you'll see some of the measures they're voting on to like decide whether or not the union wants to support this or not. And there's some, there like, there's a mix of good measures that are sensible. Like, you know, just, okay, well, I think there should be, um, Breaks every, you know, breaks every hour or something like that. And everyone's like, yeah, that's, that seems good. And then you will also see, like, somebody is proposing at the union meeting, like, you know what we should do is have a raffle to send workers <laughs> back to the Empire to, like, hang out with their families on a luxury vacation. Uh, how's that sound? And everyone's like, that sounds fucking awesome. We should we should absolutely do that. That's 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 a great that's a great incentive the union should offer. Um, likewise, the the flip side of this is that if you go the engineer route, where the engineers are put in t- put in charge, they really don't have much capacity at all 
to handle worker morale. The union can. Um, it, it, the kind of the choice you're kind of making is the union is very sensitive to workplace safety. Like if conditions get bad, you will have labor problems. But if the union is happy on that front, the union can end up being a way to have a more motivated workforce and productivity will be higher overall. If you put the engineers in charge, it's basically like super OSHA has arrived in Frostpunk. And they can make sure every work site is running a little bit better, but they can't motivate anyone for shit. Um, and so you, you, the, the trade-off there is it is less likely that you will run into uh, labor issues because the workplaces are getting unsafe. But it is also unlikely that you will have a very happy workforce and you have fewer systems in place to handle unrest uh, as it comes up if you've gone the engineer route, at least until you start hitting those decisions where you can start uh, basically deploying a little bit of hired muscle uh, to solve the problems. Because Frostpunk always has the... Uh, robber baron uh you know corporate fascist option on the table somewhere uh much as the sort of communitarian or i don't know it's got frostpunk has a very positive view of, of uh early 20th century religious services uh mm-hmm. and their capacity to bind a community together right uh so that's the other option you can go is give people faith in the future by by having extra food at church services every other day uh and people get all fired up to continue working um in terms of the in terms of the story of uh of the last autumn cam you you've mentioned before that you 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 like the the overworld stuff uh mm-hmm. how did like how was the vibe of the last autumn right did did this seem to be scratching that itch of giving you a sense of the place in the world um yeah sure i i guess um so yes yes it does i mean i think it it, it's almost like um the late 19th century early of early 20th century like if someone else described it to you and then you like took all that down and then like wrote a story about it right like it feels like a, a bunch of things like in the later part of the industrial revolution like being replicated for us right and obviously that's the time period that takes place and all that kind of stuff but so it feels like of a piece in that sense that um it's a big mishmash of workers issues and then like the the uh the religious stuff that you were talking about uh, a minute ago and like robber barons and quote-unquote titans of industry um so all of that is like happening and i think what i'd like about the overworld stuff is like the, it, that doesn't really fit into the genre in any way. It, it doesn't have a convenient slot into that. The, the closest to anything like that would be if they were written in almost like a Jack London style, right? Yeah. An adventure story, but they're not. They're like pretty just like descriptive of what is happening. Um, and so I like that there is this kind of separate space of like where Frostpunk is not wearing its genre, like, you know, as a t-shirt and pointing at it the whole time. <laughs> um, I think that's really cool. And any place, any time when Frostpunk can, is doing that, I like it quite a bit. And I actually think that that's something that's happening in some of those, like, uh, 
you know, worker events is it's like, oh, this is like not like the owls we were talking about before. Right. So there's there's a point early on where uh, everyone goes to work over the pit one day and there's an owl up there and they're all like, oh, shit, man, there's a there's an owl up there. We can't go to work. It's bad luck. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's good. Like that really gives me a sense of flavor of what this is beyond like, uh, you know, a supercut of like things we know about the Industrial Revolution. Um, but beyond that, I, you know, I don't, I think, I, I think some of the narrative stuff that I like the most actually are the, uh, also maybe, I think these are maybe pseudo random events of if you can choose to censor letters or not. Yeah. Um, and so you find, you know, so one person, one that I got was, uh, that a, uh, you know, everyone is starving back in the empire. That's, that's partially why you're doing this. And, uh, a guy gets a package full of treats right of like candies and whatnot yeah and uh the way it's presented to you right is that you know this obviously is very valuable and you know it's it tells something about like the shape of the world that these people thought it was important to send it to you or send it here to the campsite but also that uh the people who have intercepted it are afraid of an alternate economy to to like you know the managerial state um you know they're afraid of a black market forming and like that to me is like oh that's like good like a, that's a real emergent problem from this fiction that's happening the speculation of what if the world went cold that's a real kind of specific unique thing here that doesn't really have a historical equivalent to it because it comes out of the science fiction kind of part of it and so i really like those little pieces and I actually think it's kind of unfortunate that or for me, right? I, I feel like it's unfortunate that so much of of the narrative tension that shows up in Frostpunk is is broadly predictable because it's things that really did happen. There's very little to me, and that's maybe this is why I like the idea of like toxic uh, fumes shooting up out of the <laughs> the hole in the ground. Is that like, oh yeah, if we dug real deep, there would be toxic fumes, and people would have to deal with that, wouldn't they? Isn't that interesting? Um, so I like when it leans into the science fictiony stuff, or when it just leans into something that doesn't seem to fit with the rest of it, which is the overland ex- ex- exploration stuff. You know, finding a waterfall and the hunting grounds and all that stuff. Yeah, I agree that I think a lot of those narrative uh, moments are punishing to a fault sometimes. There aren't enough of them that are just, like, there for texture and flavor. Uh, you know, like, the toxic fumes are uh, sort of, it's it's like a thermometer stick you've got out. You're like, all right, high toxic fumes today? Okay, I guess i uh, got to deal with that. And, you know, you wait for the, the couple days where they're really low. And you're like, all right, everyone get to work in the pit now. Uh, as opposed to getting into more of like what that experience of uh, working not just like in a mine but in some place that is uh, like even more toxic what 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 that would do to you know your your sense of person and place mm-hmm. i mean i I would love to I, I would like to play a game in the frostpunk world or play you know an expansion of frostpunk that was not that was in the empire like i would like to play something that's happening in i don't birmingham or wherever they set off from at the beginning and i don't know quite how you make that work you know that's not my let's center it around a town hall or something like that but i would i 
really like the setting of this world and I really like the kind of conceptual work that it could be doing. Um, but because we're tied to these damn generators, um, and it's <laughs> like, it, like it's so tightly wrapped around its concept when it could be addressing its world. And, uh, so yeah, I would, I would love to, or if you just put a factory in the middle, right. And you figure out how to manage a town in the moment of collapse. I think what is so cool about the last autumn like a, on a broad level is that it's really easy actually to write apocalypse um uh, apocalyptic narrative across the board after the event's already taken place because then you just get to ideologically come up with whatever thing you think is right or whatever thing you think you think is most interesting and you just put that into place right so if mad max universe of people uh, you know beating the hell out of each other and driving cars everywhere if that's what you think is cool then you just get to do it right um and uh but what's really hard is talking about the transition point of where in the apocalyptic breakdown or where in the the dissolving of uh, civil society, uh, as, as Wilderson would say, where at that point is there a, uh, a, a switch is flipped or a trigger happens or you cross a singularity, something like that, uh, to where things really cannot, you know, recohere again. And uh, Frostpunk and even The Last Autumn Rider are about creating coherence out of, of incoherence. And I would love to see a Frostpunk expansion that flipped it and gave us kind of a blow-by-blow -blow moment of uh, an unwinnable, you know, kind of, kind of scenario in that way. That's in the heart of Empire, not kind of the way that Last Autumn does it. Cam wants Ebenezer Craven to get his due. Mm. yeah uh <laughs> god the guy's name is ebenezer craven uh yeah i mean there's interesting like there are things the game at the end of the last autumn begin hinting in that direction um mm -hmm. so one of the one of the interesting ways i failed at the last autumn was that uh in true in true freelancer fashion in some ways i uh left it till the last minute to build the generator uh, I, I got all my materials in place and I was like, you know what I can do? If I just build a wide enough base, I can get this thing built in no time at all. Like I'll blow the first milestone. Fuck it. Um, all I will have to do is just work extra shifts and we will not only overtake our original milestones because the game's always telling you how you are doing relative to the projected uh you know time of completion but i was like not only will i overtake the estimate i'll leave that thing in the dust uh because i will just have the game lets you uh so in this is kind of this is a bit bioshocky in some ways Cam, you mentioned that the, the people will be like, we want shorter shifts. And you can create that option of like, yeah, you know what? This is dangerous work. Short shifts. Uh, people will be better rested. And then later you get a better option where it's like, you get short shifts, but like, what if they are really good short shifts? And now you get an efficiency bonus that makes that short shift more productive than the full shift would have been. Uh, and so it's very much like the, you know, if you don't eat the little sisters, uh, slug for the, for the Adam and Bioshock, eventually a little sister shows up and just gives you the value of several little sisters worth of, uh, of slug juice or whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, <laughs> and that's kind of what's happening here is in that if you become like, you know, cool uncle boss, 
uh, who always, you know, always has some incentives and some break time to hand out to the workers. Uh, <laughs> the game won't penalize you for that by actually making you give up productivity, right? Instead, mm-hmm. it'll be like, you know what? Because you're a good boss and because you are letting people work six-hour shifts, they're going to get the work of 10 hours done in those in those six hours it's going to be incredible uh now i tend to th- i tend to think this way too uh i i tend to think <laughs> like you know i'll bet if we cut the work day to like the work week to like three days i'll bet you we all get more done and you'd be a lot happier <laughs> and i've yet to be disproven uh that's that's probably true but nevertheless i took that approach but i'd left it too late and then I was like, uh-oh, I'm not going to make my second milestone. If you fail two milestones, you you get fired, uh, mm-hmm. which is another way this game does kind of put, put guardrails around the experience and can be a little punishing. So I was like, okay, I'm not going to make the I'm not going to make it. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put in a requisition order for the maximum number of workers I can. So you you put in at regular intervals, you can have a boat show up with extra steam cores for advanced production, uh, extra engineers, uh, or just workers. I just had boatloads of workers coming in. Uh, The population of my town exploded. And then I was like, all right, we're going to 24-hour-a-day production on the generator. Uh, we're going to have multiple shifts uh, set up, and we're going to get this thing done. And I started to really now claw back uh, the time. And I started flying through progress with this generator. And I was like, I did it. Like, my my brilliant plan worked basically the way I anticipated. Left it to the last minute, and then just nobody slept. And we crushed it. Uh, so this is going to be awesome. The end of the game comes around, and it like a couple things happen. One, the seas freeze, and so there's no more supplies coming in from uh, from the empire. And then the other thing that happens is once you complete the generator, it's like, all right, we just need to wait a week for the icebreaker to get here and take the workers home. And I was like, a week. A week, huh? <laughs> really? Mm-hmm. A full mm-hmm. week. Uh, okay. So what's my what's the population of my settlement right now? Oh, like four hundred people. There's like four hundred workers here, uh, and there's no more capacity to get food. Uh, cool. And so my city, and and in this time, you can also continue working on the generator. You continue making a better generator. Uh, but by that point, I was just like, um, I don't really have the capacity to do any more work on this generator. So everyone needs to just sit here, and we're gonna starve while we wait <laughs> while we wait for the evacuation transport. Uh, and that worked. I got kind of a bad ending. Uh, it was like the your Liverpool settlement, uh, your new Liverpool or whatever it's called. Um, you get rated on your prospect of surviving the winter. Mine was poor. Uh, <laughs> chances are everyone who went to the city around my generator, chances are they all died. Uh, but nevertheless, I sort of, you know, I did complete the project. Uh, and me mm-hmm. and uh, about 300 workers made it off the, <laughs> off the island. Um, and that was, that was the end of the game. But 
in that end game, you do start to get more of an more insight into, oh yeah, um, there's increasing word from home that all hell is breaking loose. Like people have realized that these generator projects are not going to save everyone, not even going to save most people. And more and more of your workforce is realizing like, shit, um, I'm building this generator and I'm not sure my family is going to be allowed to settle here and ride out the storm. And so like the end of the last autumn does have this really good, um, in extremis vibe to it of mm-hmm. okay this started as a construction project and here now at the end it's time for the end of the world and that was pretty cool uh i i liked that i it did make me kind of interested in what frostpunk looks like when you are dealing with the collapse of that order um mm-hmm. for sure because i think there's a lot of there's a lot of things alluded to across Frostpunk and, and its expansions, but I'd be curious to see, uh, you know, what the Frostpunk version of that story looks like if they, if they actually told it as the focus of the game. Though it'd also be cool getting the French Frostpunk expansion because so much of what you get, so much of what you see in this in this expansion is uh, the French also packing up their Arctic settlements and trying to put whatever their plan is into motion. Uh, it's not clear what it is, but it seems to involve giant fucking trains. Uh, so it's possible the French are like trying some sort of Snowpiercer thing, which I would also be into if like Frostpunk Two is like Railroad Tycoon but Snowpiercer. Oh, um, yeah, it would be good. Oh, and the and it's and it's moving. You have to manage it. Did you read the Snowpiercer uh, graphic novels? Oh no, I only saw the movie. Okay, so well, <laughs> the movie is canonical to the graphic novels, but and the graphic novels are actually not very good. But uh, you learn. This is a spoiler, but I'm going to give it to you. You learn there's not just one Snowpiercer. Yeah, that makes so there's, sense. There's all kinds yeah. of trains running around and flying about. That would be so good. I want to manage a bunch of trains. How has no one made that yet? How has no one made Snowpiercer the game? Yeah, I think I think there's there's two interesting. Yeah, it's it's there's a sort of endless possibilities in you know doing all these different apocalyptic survival projects, uh, and and it would be interesting to see them move away from the pit, as uh, Rob was saying, or or can the generators? Because you know it's we've we've done it. Uh, we built our circle town. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Send us to space. Put me put me on a, a satellite floating around, and and you have to like uh, hook up with space elevators or something. I don't know. Yeah, there's really it's it's a, it's just how many ways can you imagine uh, workers dying? Like what what terrible death <laughs> uh, and hazards can you come up with? It's like mm-hmm. all right, we could go out into the desert, go up into space, you know, maybe do something with a volcano, do something with uh, fast moving machinery. Volcano would be very good. Like like it's a, like a pod city on the inside of the volcano, and you gotta like manage your pods. That'd be good. That that wouldn't be bad. Yeah, it would be. It, it you could you could have an entire like ah it's like it's like it's like how green was my valley? Uh, but like everyone living inside the volcano, <laughs> just some sort of really sentimental mining memoir uh, of mm. like writing out the frost apocalypse uh, in your. Oh, in the your sulfur volcano. fumes. Smelled so sweetly today. Yeah, uh, it's uh, it takes me back. Uh, yeah, but overall, like I think uh, 
the last autumn I ended up in a I ended up in a weird place with it because I would say a lot of the trial and error I went through with it became a little bit frustrating. Uh but nevertheless I did enjoy how different it was from Frostpunk, which was already a game I I liked quite a bit. And this kind of felt like there was a, there was there was a more interesting, uh, more demanding management challenge for me in this one, and my main beef with it is that there just wasn't a lot of capacity for variance in that because uh, the entire thing is kind of set on narrative rails. But in terms of how it changes up the formula, I would like to see. A version of Frostpunk. I, w- I would like to see more games like this in general. Of no, it's not just a matter of like having your rate based economy, uh, you know, humming along perfectly. There's going to be all this friction at every stage of the process, right? Like workers aren't just going to magically create the resources needed to sustain the settlement as they work. Like that's just not what's going to happen. Like these these large investment, um, you know, productions are going to require just pouring resources into them and you have to figure out a way to support uh, those expenditures. I like that Frostpunk made you do that. I like that getting stuff shipped in from overseas involved this really cumbersome process of like realizing that your dock workers didn't operate at the same rate as the ships coming in. And so you would constantly have like ports blocked by goods overflow and then you'd have the the ship stop coming and then in no time at all you would have completely run out of goods uh because you forgot to turn it on in time uh so i i enjoyed how frictional this expansion was yeah i i I think it it probably only just needed maybe more friction i mean i i now i guess i'm sounding like uh someone who didn't really like it uh but you've always always sounded that way (laughs) it makes you feel better uh, I think it's a great. It's an. It's a, not the kind of thing like once. Once I I finally uh, like didn't fail. I was like, all right, that's that's good enough for me. Um, yeah. It's not the kind of thing where I want to buy, go back. And I I think Rob, I've heard you talk about this on Waypoint at some point. But uh, Frostpunk is not a very visually detailed or diverse looking game it doesn't convey information very well when you zoom in on your settlements no. um and i think one of the things you know in the same way that the visual or the the scripted bits you get uh whether it's you know getting letters um and deciding what to do with them uh, or seeing how the workers react to certain events i think there's a lot of feeling of like well when i give the workers what i want or what they want it doesn't feel like it really changes the underlying complexion of the settlement like it doesn't feel yeah. like okay this is yeah. by the end this is the sort of uh union controlled like workers paradise like not that it would be paradise but like you know the the Jimmy Hoffa speeches from uh Irishmen like it, you don't get the sense uh, at least visually that like this is a place where all the workers are like you know real gung-ho about their union meetings and you know their their raffles and all this other stuff it kind of just still feels like it does very much at the beginning of the game and that's i think one uh, avenue where they could help 
give those choices that maybe don't uh, you don't have a whole lot of freedom in terms of like whether or not you're ultimately going to make the workers happy because really that's what you that's the easiest path to success is just to keep uh, contentment and uh, efficiency high but it would you know change uh, the sort of feeling of the town by the end depending on which uh, whether you go the engineer route, mm-hmm. which I think is almost acts like a harder difficulty because it really does make things a lot harder in the short term, but it gives you some more tools on the back end. Uh, so it's kind of like if you if you really want to increase the lag time for how quickly you're able to respond to problems, uh, it's a it's a more uh, brutal way to go. But I think it, it would be interesting to see you know, you feel like your settlement had you know, different outcomes by the end. Yeah, I think um, I would like a ver- I think that almost requires some slightly more evolved politics in, in this in this game a bit, because uh, it still does have that vibe of, uh, well, if you, you know, if you go completely in the union direction, eventually you come to some like pretty cynical, like, uh, you know, subverting the union outcomes. And so like Frostpunk is always a game that kind of is this close to saying like, and here come the banners and execution squads. Uh, (laughs) And I think related to that is kind of this wariness of presenting any version of your city that isn't kind of a rusted hellhole um, (laughs) where it's very much like, what if copy paste Peaky Blinders? Um, And (laughs) I, I would very much like to see the version of this that like, actually, you know, you can make, you know, it, it was not necessarily gonna be posh, but you can create like some sort of decent looking or, or viable looking community, uh, in, in Frostpunk, uh, you can do better than just maintain order and survive. Uh, but that sort of seems like a thing that, that we'll have to wait till Frostpunk 2 uh, because it doesn't seem to quite be in this game. Uh, anyway, that will do it for this week. We'll be back next week with more strategy discussion. Uh, this episode was produced by Keith Carberry. Three Moves Ahead is hosted in the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more about the show and discuss this episode with our community at threemovesahead.net or follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash 3MA. Finally, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash 3MA. It also has further information about our super secret Discord server where we occasionally talk about strategy games. Uh, you can follow me at Rob Zachney on Twitter, and uh, I'm generally over at waypoint.vice.com uh, getting work of various types and quality done on a day-to-day basis. Uh, Cam, what are you up to these days? Where, where can people find you? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash uh, cconzelman, C-K-U-N-Z-E-L-M-A-N. Uh, I do a lot of stuff at Range Touch, which is, uh, I don't know, a media conglomerate <laughs> my, my own making uh youtube.com slash range touch uh you know me and michael lutz uh, have been doing a long form series where we uh, play through the fallout games and talk about them kind of in a talk show format almost not quite a podcast not quite a uh let's play somewhere in the middle it's called too much future you can check that out uh, you can also listen to us on game studies study buddies where we read books of academic game studies uh, stuff and then try to make it uh sensible to people who who uh, don't care about it <laughs> or uh who don't want to read it maybe 
That's a more optimistic way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, they're listening for some reason. Uh, Ethan, yeah. uh, where can people find you, and uh, what are you up to these days? Uh, people can find me also on Twitter. I hope one day to no longer be saying that, but they still can at uh, E-T-H-A-N-G-A-C-H. Um, but I spend my time over on Kotaku uh, scavenging the, the World Wide Web for interesting nuggets and threads to pull on. All right. Uh, well, we'll be back next week with another episode of Three Moves Ahead. Until then, for Cam and Ethan, this is Rob Zachney saying goodnight. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Yeah, thank you so much. Oh, absolutely. Uh, so if you will just... Um...